morning, everybody. If you are visiting us today at Old North, a special welcome to you. Uh, but whether you're visiting today for the first time or whether you've been here for a very long time, I want to ask you this morning to think a little bit differently about your life. To think a little bit differently than maybe you're accustomed to thinking about it. I want to ask you to think about your life in terms of your citizenship, but not your citizenship to this nation. Your citizenship to a heavenly kingdom that was inaugurated when Jesus came on Christmas. So as we think about those things together, let's pray, let's ask for God's help uh, in thinking, in pondering, and rejoicing as we look at his word. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for so many faithful men and women who have gone before us. Uh, we thank you for the variety of expressions throughout history and even this morning of joy and celebration at the coming of your son, Jesus whether that be in choir songs or in flute or in congregational singing as one voice arises out of this gathered people. You are a great and mighty God and you are most worthy of all honor and glory and praise. And so we worship you. We pray, Father, that our time exploring your scripture would be worshipful to you. Help us, God, as we see Jesus for who he is, as we explore what he's done, and as we desire to follow him faithfully as a result. Change us, we pray in his name. Amen. A longtime favorite Christmas hymn, one that we sing every year, one that you will hear on radio stations, secular or Christian, from December 1st through the end of the year, Joy to the World. Joy to the World was written by Isaac Watts in the year 1719. It's almost 300 years old. Isaac Watts was considered to be one of the modern, or the father of modern hymn writing. And this song, Joy to the World, was later set to the tune by George Frederick Handel, a popular German composer residing in London, England. The hymn is based on Psalm 98, which is a hymn about a psalm, rather, about praises to God. And an interesting component to the hymn Joy to the World is that it was not originally written to be specifically a Christmas hymn. It was written to be a hymn that Christians sang all year long because in it we see this wonderful threefold experiences that people have with their Savior. The incarnation of Jesus as he comes at Christmas. The indwelling of Christ as he indwells in the hearts of those who know him by the power of his spirit and the great and glorious return of Jesus that will happen on the last day. And wrapped up in the middle of this hymn is all this language about a king, a thread of Jesus coming as a king, as a savior, and as a judge. Look at just a couple of the verses with me and look at this kingly language that we see. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room in heaven and nature sing. In verse four, he rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. This morning, 
we continue in our series that we're calling Christmas Joy. And last week, we put in contrast the idea of all the things that we do to pursue happiness or festivity during the Christmas season, the time that we spend, the gifts that we give, the money that we spend, the great links that we try to create a joyous season this time of year. And we put that in contrast to the idea of Christmas joy, true joy that lasts all the year long because of the coming of Jesus, but it's peaked as we remember Christmas and celebrate that together. Every year we proclaim in one voice, a king has come. The king of kings has come. And this morning I want you to know that with a king comes a kingdom. And that we can have great joy because of the coming of the kingdom of heaven. To show you this, I want to ask you to turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 13. Matthew 13 is found on page uh, 819, it looks like, of your hymnal or of your Bible. And what you see in Matthew chapter 13, chapter 13 and 14 is not a typical Christmas text, <laughs> but rather you see the teachings of a king about his kingdom that has tremendous Christmas implications. Matthew chapter 13, starting at verse 44, we see a string of three parables, three short anecdotes by Jesus that show two specific truths about this kingdom. And this is what it says. Matthew 13, starting at verse 44. Jesus teaching his disciples, says the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. And when it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace in that place where there be a weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of the house who brings out his treasure, what is new and what is old. Three parables, two simple truths, which become clear to us very quickly. The first truth is this, that the kingdom of heaven is immeasurably valuable. The kingdom of heaven is immeasurably valuable. The birth of Jesus marked the coming of a king. This was foretold long before his coming. We see it multiple places in the scriptures. Here's two examples. Psalm chapter 2, verse 6. God says, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. 
Hundreds of years before Jesus came, Jeremiah prophesied in chapter 23, verse 5, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king, and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. But this king is not like earthly kings. And his kingdom is not a kingdom that is common or familiar to us. And so Jesus does some teaching on the nature of this kingdom. And in Matthew, we see that he talks about the kingdom of heaven 33 times in his earthly ministry. In other gospels, he uses the same idea, except he talks about it in terms of the kingdom of God. And sometimes he just very simply talks about it in terms of the kingdom. And I don't want you to be mistaken into thinking that this kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven is simply heaven as we will experience it someday. That's part of it. But there's a lot more to this kingdom than a future reality. In fact, the kingdom of God is defined in the gospel is not defined by geographical boundaries. It's not a place. And as such, it's not completely visible to us just yet, though it will be someday. It has not reached its fullness. It's ever growing in its size and scope. And if you were trying to define it, you might define it this way. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is the rule of God in the hearts and the minds of those who put their faith in Jesus. The kingdom of God is his rule in our lives. It's his reign in our hearts. And that's what Jesus is talking about. This kingdom began when he was born on Christmas. It continues to this very day and will reach its completion upon his glorious return. And it has profound implications for our human experience now and for our future reality. And so here we see three short parables. Jesus indicates that when one finds the kingdom, look at the first parable with me, it's like finding a treasure. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Three observations that we can make about the parable. Number one, the person isn't looking for a treasure, but he happens to come across it. Number two, finding the kingdom or finding this treasure produces incredible joy. Last week we introduced this idea of Christmas joy as we're talking about this series. Joy is something deeper than temporary emotion or happiness. Joy is long-lasting, even lifelong in its scope. One definition of joy might be the disposition or attitude of the heart. And upon finding this treasure, this person experiences joy. Observation number three is that his joy was so great that he willingly and enthusiastically gave up everything he had in order to acquire the treasure. Friends, this is true 
of so many of us who've come to faith in the Lord Jesus. We weren't looking for God. And we certainly didn't want someone to rule over us. But then we had a divine encounter. The Holy Spirit of God softened our hearts. He opened our eyes. He pulled the plugs out of our ears. And we met God and he showed us himself for who he really is. And in doing so, showed us ourselves for who we really are. And in that moment, when we see God in his glory, and we recognize ourselves in our depravity, he shocked us with what you would expect to be judgment. He gave overwhelming divine love. And this produces joy. We received everlasting joy and it becomes more valuable to us than anything else that we possess in this life. If the kingdom of heaven produces that type of joy and the kingdom begins at the birth of Jesus, then my friends, this is Christmas joy. But it doesn't simply last during the Christmas season. This joy lasts the entire lives of those who are citizens of the kingdom. And it's peaked as we remember his coming. The parable is both descriptive and prescriptive, isn't it? But the point is this. The kingdom is immeasurably valuable. And it's worth sacrificing everything for. Now it's interesting to me that Jesus felt the need to talk about or to teach about the value or worth of his kingdom. I mean, these disciples that he was talking to had been following him. They believed in him. They experienced the glory of God in their very midst. Why does he need to talk about its value? Shouldn't they just know and experience that already? Shouldn't we, who have put faith in him, know and experience the value of this kingdom? Perhaps one reason for so many of us that we need to be reminded of its value is that we've never truly lived under a terrible king in a terrible kingdom. One quick survey of history will show you ruler after ruler, king after king that have wreaked terrible consequences on their kingdoms. The people had no choice but to live there under tyrannical rule and their destiny was in the hands of such a king. One ruler was a man named Leopold II of Belgium. Have you ever heard of him? King Leopold makes the list of the worst rulers in the history of the world, not because of his rule in the nation where he was a king, his rule in Belgium, but because of his crimes committed in an enormous kingdom that he carved out for himself in the nation of Congo, Africa. King Leopold obtained the territory by international agreement and named it the Congo Free State. It was not a Belgian colony. This was his personal kingdom. And the Congo Free State was presented to the world as a model of liberty and prosperity. 
devoted to the elimination of slavery. But as time went on, the world began to learn that in fact this was nothing like a free state. He had enslaved almost the entire nation and the Congolese were ruled by terror. As Leopold raked in the riches from the rich resources and reserves of copper and ivory and rubber, the Congolese were forced into labor by wholesale mutilation of their wives and their children. If you don't work, I will cut off the hand of your son. If you don't work, I will cut off the foot of your wife. And this mutilation became common practice in a nation ruled by a terrible king. In some ways, it's an apt picture, isn't it? It's a picture of what we all do in certain ways when we become the king. We serve our own self-interests, even to great cost of those around us. And you could pick any number of terrible kingdoms throughout history, but in fact, you could pick any number of great kingdoms throughout history and contrast them to this kingdom of heaven that Jesus is talking about, and the answer would be the same. (laughs) Jesus is saying that this kingdom is of immeasurable worth and value, and there's none to contrast truly against it, or to compare truly against it. Another reason why we need to be reminded of the worth of this kingdom is that many of us think about our own lives, and we think that we are the kings of our own existence, and as we walk through our years, this constitutes our kingdom. This is natural for us in many ways. We think that true freedom requires complete independence and sovereignty. We think and deceive ourselves into believing that we can control our destiny. But one tragedy in life and the idea of controlling your destiny quickly evaporates. One child who rebels against you for a sustained period of time will let you know very quickly you are not the king of your own existence. One undesired divorce, one disease that cannot be tamed, realize all of us that we are not in control. In fact, a question and answer period after one of C.S. Lewis's lectures yielded a profound answer. Lewis was asked, which of the world's religions gives its followers the greatest happiness? And Lewis paused, and he said, while it lasts, the religion of worshiping one's self is best. And his point was this. If you want short-lived happiness, then crown yourself king. But if you want lasting joy, turn to King Jesus because his kingdom is of immeasurable worth. The second parable is like the first with a few minor differences. Look at it with me. Verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls 
who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. A few observations. Unlike the first parable, this person does not passively come across the treasure or the kingdom. He's actively seeking it. And in seeking it, he finds one and only one treasure of immeasurable worth. And the result is the same. He sells everything. He gives up everything. He's willing and joyfully willing to sacrifice everything he has to obtain this treasure, the treasure of the kingdom. I wonder if you think of your citizenship in the kingdom of God with that type of value. Do you think of your place in God's kingdom as a nice little spiritual add-on to your life? Or is it your life? Do you think of Jesus as a nice, soft, spiritual encourager? Or does he rule and reign in your daily existence? Some might say, well, pastor, I don't want to give up certain things that I have for anybody else to reign over me. I don't want to give up this sweet little morsel of ongoing sin that I have. I like it too much. It's pleasurable to me. To which I respond, then you do not yet understand the value of the kingdom. Pastor, I don't want to let go of the bitter grudge that I've been holding on to for years. I don't even know how I would function without it. I mean, that anger fuels me in certain ways. And I can't yet let it go. Then you don't yet understand the great worth of the kingdom. Pastor, I don't want to give up control. If I surrender to King Jesus, then I'm not sure what he'll have me do or where he'll take me, but I'm pretty sure it's not what I'm doing today and where I am today. Then you don't yet trust the incredible blessing of being a citizen in this kingdom. Because if the kingdom is of such high value, then its inhabitants are as well. The kingdom of heaven is of immeasurable worth. If you're here today and you haven't put your faith in Jesus yet, then trust me. (laughs) Don't trust me. Trust God as he says, you will not find another king or kingdom of greater value than this. If you're here today and you've put your faith in Jesus maybe a long time ago, then know how great this gift of his coming on Christmas really is. Because it is the coming of a kingdom and a new citizenship for you. The third parable changes direction a little bit, doesn't it? we see a second idea emerge. And that is that one day the kingdom will reach its fulfillment and have eternal implications. Look at it with me. 
Verse 47, Jesus says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into the containers and threw away the bad. And so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the kingdom that is invisible today will become visible as the people of the kingdom ultimately are made clear. And this has eternal implications. Three observations. Number one, the, the idea of fishing with a net was common in the ancient world. So it was a picture that everybody could relate to. When you fish with a net, you get a large catch, some of which you want and some of which you don't want. You pick out the genuine catch and keep it and you throw away what isn't genuine. Here in this parable, the people, people are the fish. And it indicates that there will be plenty who in some way, shape, or form identify with the kingdom. And yet, when all is made clear, they have not yet submitted to the reign of the king. They like aspects of the kingdom. But they're not citizens of it. And... The third observation is that there are eternal implications for those who are in the kingdom and those outside the kingdom. Those who are in the kingdom will remain citizens of this kingdom forever with the king. And those who are not, Jesus said, will be judged in a terrible, terrible way. And so we see the kingdom is eternal. And when you combine these ideas, these two simple ideas of these three short parables, you get something like this. The kingdom of heaven is immeasurably valuable and eternal in its state. Or the kingdom of heaven is of immeasurable and eternal value. This is something of high worth now and high worth forever. And it all begins at Christmas. It begins with the coming of a baby Jesus and the coming of his kingdom. It defines our citizenship for those who would follow him. It gives us a trustworthy ruler to follow. It means that we can engage with other members of the kingdom in true and lasting friendship and love. The kingdom gives us a path for life and a way into eternity. And the kingdom of heaven gives us joy. Abiding, lasting Joy that is peaked as we celebrate Christmas. The kingdom of heaven is of immeasurable and eternal value. And so part of the question for us in response to this is, do we see it that way? Do we appraise the value of this kingdom appropriately? I know that I so often don't. I know that the pressures of the world, the temptations of sin, the priorities and urgencies in life, a variety of things are working against me holding this kingdom and this king in its proper place of infinite value and worth. 
Do you appraise it accordingly? Does your life reflect such an appraisal? When the Western, Western Union Company asked the great inventor Thomas Edison to name his price for a ticker that he had invented, Edison asked for a few days to think about it. He went home and he talked to his wife, and his wife said, you should ask for $20,000, which was an enormous sum of money for that time. Edison didn't think the ticker was worth that much money, and so he thought further. And on the day of the meeting with the Western Union official, they began to talk, and the official asked for Edison's price, and he wanted to say $20,000, but the words just wouldn't come out of his mouth. It was such a tremendous sum of money, he couldn't even vocalize it. And so in the awkward silence, the Western Union official decided to start the negotiation. And he broke the silence with the words, how about $100,000? Some people know the price of everything, but they know the value of nothing. Let us not be a people who know the price of the kingdom because we know it. We celebrate it. We talk about it. God condescended. He was born as a baby. He lived a perfect life. He died as penalty for our sin. He rose again, conquering sin, death, and the devil and ensuring his kingdom reign forevermore. This is the price but what is the value? Does your appraisal of the kingdom match its value? When we live as if our citizenship is an add-on to life, then clearly we don't understand the value of the kingdom. When we prioritize what we value, but those values reflect something very different than kingdom values, then we show that we don't quite understand the value of this kingdom. But conversely, friends, when we live under the rule and reign of God's only son, the son that came at Christmas, when we follow him faithfully, when we rely on him consistently for the forgiveness of our sins, when we pursue his works and his ways in this life, the next is guaranteed. You are citizens of the kingdom and its value is shown to you. And in that immeasurable worth and eternal consequence is Christmas joy. The kingdom of heaven is of immeasurable and eternal value. And so I close this morning with a well-known Christmas passage, one that reminds us of such a reality. It's found in the book of Isaiah, chapter nine, verses six and seven. Prophesied about the king long before his coming, it says, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal 
of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen and amen. Let's pray together. Father, you are a wonderful God and your son Jesus, a great and mighty king. We see glimpses and pictures of the kingdom. We experience the joy as we submit ourselves to his rule and reign and we confess our dependence all the more. We need help to recognize its worth. Meet us in the place of the desire of our hearts and minds and grow us into the type of kingdom citizens you would have us to be. For the sake of the glory of the King. Amen.